it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 643 for June 28, 2020, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchats with Programming by Stealth, installment 99 of X. 99, Bart? Yeah, I know. We're getting close to the big 100. Do we get a cake? I think we should have a cake. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Well, we're doing a part two um, of last time. So last time we dedicated an entire episode to Haza. And now we get to do Iza. But uh, I guess putting it into a bigger context, this is about going from having individual classes to represent one simple concept or thing to combining multiple classes to build a representation or a model, if you want to get really fancy sounding, of more complex ideas or things, which are, you know, multiple interacting gadgets. And the Hazard relationship is where one instances of one of your classes have as data attributes instances of another one of your classes. So specifically in the example we used, a monetary amount has a currency and a currency has one or more denominations. So is it, that's is it a bad thing that that's not at all confusing to me? It's a good thing. Okay. It's a very good thing. It makes okay. life a bit easier this time. <laughs> N- now we are moving on to the other kind of relationship, which is a more in-depth one, but extremely powerful. This is this is like the payoff for all of the object-oriented work we've been doing so far. This is the pinnacle of AR of um, OO. This is like the this is what object orientation has been leading up to. It's all about this concept called inheritance, which is what's going to give us this ISA relationship. It's also going to give us one of the most misunderstood and abused words at all of computer science, polymorphism. But I'm just going to say, leave that aside until we get to it entirely naturally. We're not going to define it. We're just going to show what it is because the definition is almost impossible to write or say, and it's really easy to show. So we'll just show and call it a day. So we're going to do a very similar approach to last time. We're going to work entirely based. Okay, I'm going to give you some theory, and then we're going to put it into practice by updating the same worked example from last time. So we're going to basically improve our currency class and use that to illustrate the points about how it, what inheritance is and how it works. So you will find it all in... The basically it's all in one file, money.js, and you play along in pbs99.html, which sucks that file in and gives you a console to play on. Okay, dokie. Okay, so before we get stuck into our worked example, let's let's take an imaginary example that we're not going to write any actual code for. We're just going to think about it. So. Imagine you're, you have your work hat on and you've been asked to write some code and you want to represent the people in a company. That's bound to have happened once or twice. <laughs> there are managers and there are workers. So you start writing your two classes and very soon you'll find yourself doing an awful lot of copying and pasting because a manager has a name and a worker has a name and a manager has a phone and a worker has a phone and a manager has a home address and a worker has a home address and a manager has an ex of kin and a lot, a lot of duplication here. So as we know, that's definitely one of those bad smells we keep talking about. So we're duplicating code like crazy. What's what's going on here? What have we done wrong? Well, really, a manager and a worker can better be described in terms of a more generic concept. 
they're both people. The reason that we've gotten into problems is because actually managers and workers share so much that they should have a class to represent the shared part. So we need a class to model people, and then we need to take the functionality from people and give it for free to our classes to model managers and workers so we don't have to duplicate it. Okay, that makes sense. And that's, that's what inheritance is for. So you take the generic stuff and you put it into a class that you inherit from. And then by inheriting, you basically get all of that functionality for free. So you'd have one class to represent people that does all the common stuff, like their name and whatever. And then you have one class for manager, which inherits from people. And that will only do the manager specific stuff, like maybe the list of reports that, you know, people who report to them, you know, the stuff that only applies to managers. And you have another class called worker that would only have the stuff that applies to workers, maybe which trade union they're in, what machines they're certified to operate on, whatever it happens to be. And the, what you end up with then is no code duplication and a basically a hierarchy of classes. That makes and sense. As I said, the mechanism we call it inheritance. And so that's why we get this idea of a hierarchy, right? So we would say that the manager inherits from the people class and the worker class inherits from the people class. And the key word in almost every language, in fact, I am struggling to find a counterexample. Well, there's Perl. <laughs> most most other languages, the keyword for doing inheritance is extend. So you would say that one class extends another, and the keyword is extend. So you'll often hear um, jargon where people might say inherits from or extends. That's the same thing. They're just synonyms for each other. Um, it's also kind of like a family tree. So the class that you inherit from is often called the parent class, and the class that does the inheriting is often called the child. And you end up with a sort of a tree-like structure because you can only inherit from one, unlike humans, classes can only inherit from one parent. So at the root of it, you have your most generic class and you might have two subclass or two child classes coming off that class. And then you might have another child class coming off one of the other children. So you can end up with a nice complicated branching tree. So, um, so you would never have something like, um, let's say a class for... Uh, persons in a university and persons in a company they would you could be extending two classes into one uh no but you could you, you can inherit multiple times so maybe you'd have to do your hierarchy in such a way that you only ever have one parent so if you're drawing it as a graph as can only every one line coming out of the top of you but there could be as many lines as you want coming out of the bottom hmm. okay so if you think about it our person class has two lines coming out of the bottom but that's fine because each one only has one line coming out of its head. You can't have two lines coming out of, out of the top of you. you. You can only inherit from one class. There are one or two oddball languages before Jill starts typing too hard on her keyboard where you can do multiple inheritance, but we're so many shades of not going there. And that is a niche and weird thing that some languages like Perl can do, but that's not mainstream. Uh, there is also some archaic terminology that still lingers. So today I tend to hear people talk about parent classes. But in the olden days, there were superclasses and subclasses is how we used to talk about them. And 
some of that still lingers in terms of one of the keywords we're going to meet today, which is the keyword super. So a super class is a parent class and a subclass is a child class. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, but if we're learning this new, we only have to remember parent and child? Uh, no, because you're going to be Googling. <laughs> okay. Right, so these are not, you know, parent and child, superclass and subclass. They're just generic terms you're just going to hear in the lingo, right? So when you're talking to people, some people, it's like, you know, some people like to talk about automobiles and other people like cars and other people like vehicles. It's, you know, the same thing. Okay. So you're going to find all the different words as you Google and as you talk to people. Um, so you can only inherit from one parent and you can have as many. Basically, you can build a tree out as wide as you like by inheriting over and over again, and it can be nested. So you could have a class person, which then has a class manager. And then the class manager might have a class called, you know, HR manager and a class called technical manager, you can keep breaking it down as far as what you need needs you to go, but it really does depend on how complicated a universe you're trying to represent with your classes. Manager all the way down. Yeah, so you can just inherit and, what, and, inherit, and one inherit, poor inherit. employee at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So the reason we talk about an ISA relationship is because in our example, we would say that a manager is a person and a worker is a person. So it's is a is um, is how that comes about. And actually, in my show notes, I go a little further. So imagine you're trying to represent the next of kin as well as see if your managers, your workers and your next of kin. Well, now we have another level in our hierarchy because they're all people. So you'd have a people class at the top, which has two child classes, employee and next of kin. And then employee could break into manager and worker. Right. So you see how we get these hierarchies? Right. And then you're so saying, then you say, and then you have next of kin would be a person, but would also be, well. No, they'd just be a person. So next of kin would be a person, but a manager would be an employee and a manager would be a person. So uh, a manager okay, has two is a relationship. Right, right. Because you get to climb up two, two levels of the tree. So the obvious next question is, why would you go to all of this trouble? Well, by inheritance basically gives us three useful things. So the first one I've already told you about is it avoids copying and pasting by giving us implementation of shared functionality. So you can put data attributes and functions into the parent class, and then you don't have to re-implement re them in the child classes. The parent has taken care of it. You can also do default implementation. So you, you might find that for class person, eight out of 10 child classes need a function to work a certain way, and one or two weirdos want to do something fancy. Well, implement it in the parent class and allow the child class to replace the functionality if they so desire. So the parent can provide a default implementation of something. And the other thing that a parent class can do is it can set rules on its children. So the parent class can say that every subclass of me must provide a function named boogers. I insist, you must all provide boogers. So there are the three things, and this is, so far we're not talking JavaScript, right? Nothing we've said so far is JavaScript specific. This is 
object-oriented programming. This is inheritance in the general sense. So in your mind, I'd like you to build up a mental model of what's going on here. So if we remember back to the very first installment we did on this whole object-oriented journey, we started off with the concept of encapsulation. That ringing bells? Oh, yeah. So an encapsulated object has data and the functions for manipulating the data all wrapped into a neat little package. And then we've come to think of our classes as these blueprints for making lots of nice little instances, each of which are an encapsulated object. And the way we think of it is that the constructor function initializes the data and then it copies in all the functions and then you end up with your nice encapsulated object. Well, the model's extremely similar with inheritance. It's just there are now one constructor per chain per step in the chain, basically. So the construct when you're building a worker, the very first thing that happens actually is that the person constructor does its thing. It copies in some functions and it creates some data attributes. And then the constructor for uh, employee kicks in and it copies in some more data and adds in some more functions. And then finally, the constructor for worker kicks in and it does whatever it wants to do. And what, because it happens in that order, it means that if the top class copies a function called boogers, then it gets handed to the next constructor. If it replaces boogers, well, then that's the version of boogers that exists in the encapsulated object, which is why you can do this defaulting thing. Oh, okay. Okay. And the term for replacing something from your parent is called overriding. So you would say that the child class overrides the function boogers provided by the parent class. That's sensible. Sensible. Yeah, I mean, this is all actually very sensible, um, which is nice. I mean, the parents make so, the rules and then the kids override it. That is very realistic indeed. <laughs> yes. Um, and so the final ability then is the ability to specify rules. And this is something which varies a lot language to language. And this is something we're about to find out that JavaScript is really bad at. It doesn't actually provide the functionality properly at all. And we have to hack a doodle do our way around it. So in theory, and just whatever. Did you just say hack a doodle do? I might have done. I may have just made that up. May have had too much coffee with my dessert. Um, in most languages, there's a keyword abstract, which basically says... I'm setting a rule, not actually implementing a function. So you would just say abstract function boogers and then provide no content for the function. And then all child classes must provide a function named boogers or the compiler will go, sorry, you're not allowed to extend that class. You don't provide any boogers. But JavaScript doesn't give us that. So we have to do a little bit of hacking. But the reason you want to do that is that you want to, you want to be able to say to people using your classes, Every single child class of person will have a name. Or every single child class of person will have a something because I have decreed it to be so. And so that's the third thing we get from inheritance. So we have providing shared functionality that you don't have to copy paste, providing default functionality you can override if you wish, and then setting rules for the children. They're the three things we're going to gain out of inheritance. Makes sense. X. Okay, good. I'm always nervous when we get so far. <laughs> I know I'm not adding much here, but it's I'm only because I'm not confused yet. Great, great. Well, now, so that finishes the generic portion of the installment. That is all of the ideas introduced. No more new ideas. 
Now we take off our generic hat and we replace it with our JavaScript hat and in specifically our ES6 JavaScript hat because this was really difficult before ES6, but we're not living in that world anymore, so we get to do it the nice way. So you implement inheritance with one word, the keyword extends. So if you wanted to extend the built-in string class, you could say class uber string extends string open curly brackets and start writing your class. It really is that simple. Class, name of my class, extends, name of the class you're extending. Hmm. Okay. So nothing too difficult there. The second keyword of two, there only are two keywords today, so extends is the first, and the second one is super. I'm not sure how much you're going to like super because super is very much akin to its best friend, this. Okay. Well, I've come to peace yeah. with this. And occasionally okay. even with self. Okay, good. Good. In that case, you may like super. So before we look at super, let's remind ourselves that when we're writing classes, the, the keyword this has three different jobs depending on where it is. So within a constructor, this references the object being constructed. So if you're inside the constructor and you say this dot underscore boogers, you mean the boogers property of the object being constructed. Mm -hmm. uh, the second context it can appear in is in a class function, in which case this represents the class I belong to. Right. And the third place is inside an instance function, in which case it represents the instance I belong to. Got it. So JavaScript then has the super keyword for when you're dealing with inheritance. And so this is all about yourself, right? This is all about the thing I am in. Mm -hmm. Super is all about my parent. Oh. Super is basically a way of accessing the parent. Okay. And we have the same three contexts. So within a constructor, super is actually a function, not a variable. And it is the parent class's constructor. So you can call the parent class's constructor within the child class's constructor with the magic word super open parens, pass any arguments you want, close parens, and you're calling the parent's constructor. Okay. There are some subtleties. Pop a pin on those for a few minutes. The other place super can appear is inside a class function. And so inside a class function, this represents the class I belong to. Super represents the class I belong to's parent. And within an instance function, this represents the object I belong to. Well, within an instance function, super represents the, the version of myself with all the functions before any overriding happened. It's like the unoverrode or unoverridden or however you want to past tense overriding. So if you override four functions, they're gone from this but they're still there in super. So let me ask a question. Let's say you've got four levels of inheritance. We've got mm -hmm. A, B, C, and D, and we're down in D. Yeah. If we use super, are we talking about the instance or the class above us, or can we go all the way back up to the top one, to, to A? Um, I haven't, in some languages you can, in some languages you can't. I forgot to check how far JavaScript, with JavaScript we let you do super.super.super, but super is one level up. So okay, super in general is one level up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Should really check whether you can do super dot super. Um, 
it, it, I know it's possible in languages like Java and stuff. And I only know that because I tried it because it was cool. I've never needed it. Plus fun to say. Yeah. Super dot super dot super dot super. <laughs> super. This. Okay. So I asked you to put a little pin in the first use of super, which is inside the constructor, because I said there were some JavaScript specific subtleties. So let us get those out of the way. The first thing is you have to call super. You, you are not given a choice. If you are writing a constructor inside a child class, you must call super. Uh, not only must you, you absolutely cannot use the keyword this until after you have called super. And if you think about it, that actually makes sense because super is getting is calling the parent classes constructor and this doesn't really exist until the child classes constructor has got a start on it. So you need the parent constructor to be finished before you can start to do your part. Remember I was saying that, you know, the parent constructor goes first and then the child constructor. Well, this is how you access the object under construction. So if you mess with it and then call the parent constructor, that's broken the sequence. I told you things happen. So that's why the rule is straightforward. You have to call super and you have to do it before you ever use this. Okay, that makes sense. It does make sense. So that's that. those two rules are actually the subtlety, but most languages don't make you jump through quite so many hoops. So you have to call super, and you can't use this until you've called super. So the last bit of JavaScript weirdness is the fact that JavaScript doesn't have a formal built-in enforcing mechanism for setting rules on your children. So basically, in JavaScript land, all children are unruly and uh, not, <laughs> there is no control from the parent. Okay. So basically, what it boils down to is, as things stand at the moment, there is no abstract keyword in JavaScript. I, am, I believe I have read proposals to add it into future versions of ECMA script, but as of this writing, as of ES6, there is no abstract keyword. Therefore, we cannot implement this without doing a bit of hackery. So in the same way, we have no private keywords, so we don't have any truly private variables. We just have some conventions we use. Well, I'm afraid we're back into that wishy-washy territory here. So the way that we do this is that if we want all of our children to implement a function, we implement it, and then we put the entire body of the function is throw new error. All children must implement this function. Wait a minute, you purposely throw an error. There's no way to not have it be errored. Right. Well, the only way to have it not be errored is to override it. I okay. eat to force your children to do what you want. <laughs> right? Okay. So that is how you assert control. By throwing an error, which they must then override to stop being thrown. <laughs> it's that it's is... a daft workaround, but it works. And I'll prove it to you when we get to a work example. The final thing just to say before we get to a worked example is the instance of keyword is aware of inheritance. So we have seen that you can use instance of to test if an object is an instance of a class, but it actually checks the entire inheritance tree. So if you have a class B that extends class A and you have an, ob you have an object lowercase b, which is an instance of B and an object lowercase a, which is an instance of A, then both of the following will return true. B instance of A and B instance of B. Okay. Or if we go back to our previous example, if Allison is a manager, 
then Allison instance of manager will obviously be true. Allison instance of employee will be true. And Allison instance of person will also be true. Okay. But Allison instance of worker will not be true. Because everybody knows managers aren't workers. Exactly. (laughs) And Allison instance of next of kin would also not be true because that's not in your inheritance tree, right? It's only your direct parents all the way up. Okay. It would be upsetting if that wasn't true. So I'm happy with that too. Yeah. And there we go. That's it. That is everything introduced. Now I want to show you what I've told you. Okay. So let's go back to our monetary amounts from last time. So we had our suite of classes where we had just three classes in our suite. Monetary amount, which contained a number, and then an instance of the class currency. And then the class currency contained a name and whether or not it was imaginary, uh, how many decimal places it had, and then a primary denomination and maybe a secondary denomination. And then the class denomination defined a name, sorry, a symbol, a plural name, and a singular name. Singular name and plural name. So our three classes were monetary amount, currency, and denomination. We had our two HAZA relationship. Now, our currency class was intentionally badly designed. Uh, I did that on purpose so that I could write the second installment. Okay. So it works perfectly well for dollars, pound sterling, and euro. But I'm a mad, raving, loony Harry Potter fan. And I cannot use my class to represent wizarding gold. Because wizarding gold does not come in two denominations that are orders of 10 apart. It comes in galleons, sickles, and canuts. And there's a stupid amount of one in the other. I forget off the top of my head, I think it's like 17 sickles, 17 canuts in a sickle and 37 or something nuts sickles in a, in a galleon. It, they're really stupid ratios. And they were apparently done like that on purpose because J.K. Rowling was... Um, making fun of the old British money, which was like six pence in a shilling and all these kind of stupid things. Uh, And also I'm a giant big Star Trek fan. And gold press latinum will be lovely to have some of. And I'm afraid to say that comes in bars, which consist of 20 strips, which consist of 100 slips. Can't represent that either. So clearly my currency class from the last time is too specific. So we obviously need another currency class to represent this other type of currency, these what I'm calling denominated currencies, where you have arbitrarily many subunits with an arbitrary ratio between those subunits that could be something as stupid as 17 in the case of J.K. Rowling's Twisted Mind. <laughs> so you had, you had fun writing this part, didn't you? I may have done. <laughs> may have done. Um so I think actually it was Jill put this idea in my head about two months ago when she complained that my currency class then wasn't generic enough. Um, yeah, I actually remember that and thinking, I wonder why he didn't do that. Yeah, I, I, I put it on my back pocket and keeping it for now. Um, so this has been brewing for a while. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to take everything that my new weird type of currency has in common with our existing currency. I'm going to abstract that up into a parent class, which I am going to call currency. I'm going to take my existing currency class, delete all the stuff that's generic, and then rename it decimal currency. Because, you know, the dollar, the euro, they're all decimal currency. Right, right. 
And then I'm going to make a new third class that's also going to be child of currency called denominated currency, because a currency with lots of denominations, I couldn't come up with a better word, so I'm calling it a denominated currency. So we're going to have currency as our parent class, which is going to have two children, decimal currency and denominated currency. And you'll find all of it in money.js. In money.js, you will also find denomination class and a monetary amount class. There is not a single character changed, not even a typo fix. Hmm. They are exactly the same as last time. And that's okay. actually important because it shows the power of inheritance when we get to the end. Okay. Um, the code is expecting three things to be true. That before you include money.js, you have included is.js, the wonderful type checking library I am in love with. It also assumes you have included numeral.js, the number formatting library I love to use because I hate having to do that stuff myself. And then a small amount of showing off on my behalf. It also includes an open source library called Human Join, written by a Bart Buchholz guy. <laughs> This is a little library I wrote for my own benefit, which does human-friendly joins of arrays. In other words, instead of it being... The regular join function has one separator all the way down. So you, if you have three items, you get Tom, comma, Dick, comma, Harry. I don't want Tom, Dick, comma, Harry. I want Tom, Dick, and Harry. Or Tom, Dick, or Harry. So the human join library allows you to do joins in a human-friendly way. If you like the Oxford comma, it will oblige you. If you don't <laughs> like the Oxford comma, it will oblige you. If you would like to quote each element in the array before joining them together, it can do all that for you. Anyway, loads of details linked in the show notes. It's, of course, free and open source and on GitHub. Uh, but I needed to do some listing, and I just really didn't want to reinvent the wheel I spent ages inventing for myself. So I'm just including my own library. Cool. Yeah. So let us look at our three new classes. So biggest picture level, we're going to have a class currency, then we're going to have a class decimal currency extends currency, and a class denominated currency extends currency. So that's the inheritance bit taken care of with the extends keyword. I would hope you'll agree that's nothing too controversial. I think I got it. So now let's look at what. Okay, so the code is all in there and you can look through the code at your leisure. I'm going to tell you what is in each class. Um, rather than going through all the lines of code. So let's start with what's generic. What is in the parent class currency? So the first thing it does is it provides a class function, static coerce amount, and that's shared between all the children. They're all going to make use of that. Another one, static amount as human int. And then it has an attribute, an instance attribute called name that's going to be common to all the children. We have an instance attribute named imaginary and its friend real. They're going to be shared by all the children. And then we have a requirement that all children provide an instance data attribute named length. But we're making the children provide a length. We're not providing it for them. So that would be an abstract data attribute in any other language. But in JavaScript, we're just going to throw some errors around. So you could have a currency that doesn't have a name? Uh, no, because I was saying that that is shared functionality, right? No, but I mean, you're calling out specifically length as the one that you're going to do this abstract jiggery-pokery on, but you didn't do Correct. that, for example, on name. Correct, because I am implementing name once 
in the parent class and the children don't have to override it, they can just use mine. I am saying the children must override length. I am oh. not giving oh, them a name. I, oh, I, I got you, got you. They have to do it. Okay, so you're giving them a default name and if they don't want to override it, they don't have to, but they have to override but length. It's not even that I'm giving them a default name. I am saying I am providing an attribute called name and you can use it. So I'm just giving it to can, them. but don't have to? They don't have to, but I'm going to default it in the parent class. So I guess if they don't use it, they'll just get the default name, which I think is generic dollar. Yeah. If memory serves. Okay. Okay. Um, but length, you're saying you need to specify length. I'm not going to give it to you. You need to specify it. And I'm going to do this abstract instance nonsense to make that happen. Exactly. And I will show you that in code in a bit. Okay. It's a little the parent class provides a constructor, mm -hmm. which is going to deal with the name, the imaginary, and the real stuff. The parent class is going to provide a default instance function called amount as human float. And so the child is free to override if they wish. They don't have to. I'm going to provide a default instance function split amount, which they're free to override if they wish or need to. Then I'm going to demand that all of my children provide an instance function named amount as string i.e. an abstract function. I'm going to make a similar demand for amount as human string and a similar demand for amount as English string. And what are so, those three doing? So they're going to output basically an amount with the appropriate amount. Oh, that sounds terrible. The appropriate number, number of decimal places is what the first function has to do. The second function should output the currency in a way a human being would want it represented. So if it was pounds, it would be the pound symbol some numbers, period, some more numbers. So that's a human string. And an English string would be five pounds and 60 pence. Okay. Because <laughs> English people are not humans. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I'm just messing. And as if it was French, it would be et, right? <laughs> so that's what the parent class provides. So then what's in our first child? So the first child is decimal currency. It is going to provide its own data attribute called denomination, its own data attribute called subdenomination. So the denomination is where like the pound or euro or dollar goes. And the subdenomination is where the cent or penny goes. And then it's going to have a subdenomination order, which is the, the basically the order of magnitude between the two. So is it an order of one would be that there's 10, an order of two would be 100, an order of three would be 1,000. So basically the number of decimal places which, as you discovered, I was wrong to assume was always two. <laughs> and then it is going to be a good class and implement the mandated attribute length. It's going to provide a constructor, and that constructor is going to call its parents' constructor. Is, that, going to is that always true? It has to be, because you have to call super. Yeah, okay, so that's how it's going to do it is with super. Okay. It is going to override the default function amount as human float, replacing the default from the currency class. It is going to implement the mandatory function split amount. It's going to implement the mandatory function as string. It's going to implement the mandatory function as human string and the mandatory function as English string. So it's going to do what it's told and provide a few things of its own. Okay. The denominated currency class is going to be a very similar story. It's going to provide a whole new class function no other class needs called coerced denomination rate, 
because this is something only this class needs. It also has a function course denomination rate list, which is again something only this class needs. It's then going to provide instance data attributes, denominations, denomination, denomination list, and rate list. And again, these are things only it will have. Then it's going to be a good little class and obey its parent and provide a length. It's going to have a constructor. That constructor is going to call its parent. It's going to choose to override amount as human float, replacing the default, but it's going to use the word super to use the default as part of its own. So basically, its own function is going to do the default stuff and a little bit more. So it's actually going to call the default from its overriding function, which is kind of cool. Mm, okay. It's going to do what it's told in terms of split amount, amount as string, amount as human string, and amount as image string, or as English string. So basically, some stuff of my own, everything I'm told, and choosing to do some replacing of default. That's really the story here. So I'm, I'm hoping that makes sense, that that's what classes would do. So they share some things, and then they do their own thing wherever they deviate. Okay, I think so. Great. So let us actually have a peep at some of the important parts of this code. So before we look into the code, let's use the code. Let's actually make it go. So if you can open up pbs99.html, and pop open the JavaScript console, and let's make ourselves some currencies. So we're going to make an instance of each of our three classes. Now, the first one is actually quite useless because the parent currency class only has a name on whether or not it's imaginary. So I'm going to call that useless currency. So const useless currency becomes equal to new currency, which then passes in a dictionary as the one and only argument. Name useless currency imaginary true. Then we're going to have const sterling becomes equal to new decimal currency. Again, one argument, which is a dictionary. Name sterling, imaginary, false. Denomination, new denomination, the pound. Subdenomination, new denomination, the penny. And as I got wrong in the last installment, the plural of penny is not pennies, it's pence. If you're going to go with English currency. Ah, if it's sterling. Okay. If it's sterling, yeah. Right. Then we have const wizarding money. Becomes equal to new denominated currency. Name wizarding money. Imaginary, very much true. Denominations. And so this is where I spent ages and ages and ages and ages and ages trying to figure out how on earth do I represent this weirdness in a constructor. And I've decided that the way to do it is with an array. So this is going to list every denomination. And between the denominations is going to be a number. So it's going to be denomination, common number, common denomination, common number, common denomination. So in this case, it's galleon, 17, sickle, 29, knut. <laughs> and that was that, confusing to me when I was proofreading. I can imagine it would be, because it's very unusual to have an array with mixed type like that. Yeah. What that means is a galleon contains 17 sickles, contain 29 knuts. So it's actually easy to write. You just write down how the breakdown works. Okay. So let us prove to you that the shared functionality is inherited. So the class currency defines a function called coerce amount. And that's a class function, coerce amount. That function, if you, do a, if you do a find for it, that function is not redefined in either of the two child classes. That, that function is only defined once, no copying and pasting, and is defined in the parent class. Hmm. Okay. So needless to say, 
you expect it to work just fine on the parent class, which is called currency. So if you copy and paste in console.log currency.courseAmount42, it will print out 42. Mm-hmm. And if you do currency.courseAmount boogers, it will throw a type error because there is no way to convert boogers into a number. Okay. And that works as expected. So now let's try that on our two child classes. And if you say console.log decimal currency.courseAmount42, it gets you the number 42. And if you try to decimal currency.courseAmount boogers, it throws the same error. Mm-hmm. And exactly the same thing happens with denominated currency when you try to course 42 or boogers. And all of those so, errors are coming from the currency class. They are coming, exactly. There is only one place that function has actually been written. That's in the currency class, but it exists by magic, not by magic, by inheritance. You get it for free by inheriting. So that's the power of inheritance. I didn't have to copy and paste. I inherited coerce amount. So that is powerful. Right. Right. Once used three times. And if I made 100 child classes, right, once used 101 times. You know, quite powerful. So the currency class, again, defines a getter and setter for the instance data attribute name. So those getters and setters are not redefined in the child classes. They only exist in the parent class. And yet again, they are inherited. So if we say console.log uselesscurrency.name, it prints out useless currency. If we say console.log sterling.name, we get sterling. And if we say console.log wizardingmoney.name, we get wizardingmoney. So they all have a name, but we only wrote the getter and setter once. We did that in the parent class. So they inherited a name. Okay, and they just had data attributes down in the instances of, in the, in the uh, extended classes? They didn't even have the data attributes. They got them for free. So how did... I, I, so by I lost extends, something. Then when let me let me ask my question. Okay. When did it tell it I want to be called Sterling? So we called the constructor for the class decimal currency, and we passed that constructor some arguments. Mm-hmm. That constructor called Super, and it passed those arguments on to Super. And Super is actually okay, so the it was, constructor. It was the arguments was where it, it got the word Sterling. Shoved Correct. Into it. It okay. Pass, yeah, that's so what. That's where I was stuck. Ar- yeah. So we passed it as the argument to our constructor, mm-hmm. and then when we called super, we passed it on. We could have chosen not to pass it on, but that would have been a bit weird because then we'd have lost it in the ether. We chose to pass it on to the constructor for currency, and that's where it actually got saved. Gotcha. Okay. So that's how it works. So the top constructor runs, and then the child constructor runs. Okay, so there we have proof that we have successfully inherited. We have inherited a class function. We inherited an attribute. Um, so that's inheritance in action. Let's look at some default implementations. We only have one really to go with, which is the function amount as human float. So if we look in the currency class, it's a very simple function, this default implementation. It basically says return the number with a thousand separator, which is a comma, and a period separator for the decimal places, two decimal places, and if it's a whole number, no decimal places at all. That's what that means in numeral.js speak. Um, so we can prove that to ourselves with a bit of console.logging. So if we say useless currency dot amount as human float one, two, three, four, we get back one comma two three four. If we say useless currency dot amount as human float one two three four dot five six seven, we get back one comma two three four dot five 
seven because sixty seven gets rounded to seven. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. The class decimal currency chooses to also provide a function with the same name. So in other words, it is overriding the function provided by its parent. And what it's doing is it's providing a number of decimal places based on the subdenomination order. So if it's a currency with three decimal places, this function will return three decimal places. If it's a currency with one decimal place, this function will return one decimal place. If it's the yen, which has no decimal places, it will return no decimal places. Oh, okay. Now, in the case where there are no sub-denomination, that's exactly the same. That's treated exactly the same way that the parent implementation did. So rather than re-implementing the same thing, this replacement function actually calls the version from the parent class. See the way it says, if this.subdenomination order triple equals zero, return super that amount as human in. Ah, okay, right. We're reaching up to our super class and saying, yeah, run your function there. That'll do grand, please. Okay. And then we go on, if we didn't get the if statement, then we go on and do the sensible thing where we basically give the appropriate number of decimal places and then we return our answer. So, so there's... I'm a little bit confused why... Let's see. So decimal currency is is going back and saying, uh, okay, I might have three, I might have zero, you know, I gotta go, I gotta go find out from my subdenomination order. So that's mm -hmm. why it's overriding uh, the the class above it. The yes, class, the class above it always does two. So why does the class above it always do two if the other currency, the denominated currency, isn't going to have any decimals at all? Well, hypothetically, I could invent another type of currency and. You know, it seems like a sane default, and I had to find some excuse to default something. Okay. Okay. So let me prove to you that what I think is going on is going on. So um, I, again, did a bit of Googling. <laughs> Const Jordanian dinar equals new decimal currency with one argument, which is a dictionary, which contains name Jordanian dinar, denomination, new denomination, a piece of Arabic I cannot read, and then dinar. Subdenomination, new denomination, a piece of Arabic I cannot read, fill or philos, because the plural of phil is philos. Nice. You're really, you're really getting into it now. You're not going to be I caught out. Yeah. <laughs> Subdenomination order three. Ah. So if I say console.log Jordanian dinar.amount as human float, one, two, three, four, dot five, six, seven, eight, it will correctly print 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8. Because again, we have a rounding. 7, 8 becomes okay. 8. Nice. So we have successfully overridden. Uh, but if we were to do, I should have put another example in there of the yen, actually. Because if I were to do the yen, we would use super to reach back up to the parent and give us back the, the version with no decimal places. Because that's how the parent were. So amount as human float didn't end up with uh, any of your Arabic symbols there. No, because it it does. It's only doing the floaty part. <laughs> okay. I just, I, the constructor is correct. If you you have the object there in your console, so if you do a dot uh, amount as human string, that's actually right no amount as English string. Actually no amount as human string will give you the symbols. So if you do amount as human string, that's what yourself. I wanted. Ah, uh, phooey. I can't. Uh, I have to give it a new name. Nope. You may have to do a refresh and copy and paste it all in again. Right, right. That's what I have to do. Okay. 
I will do that in the background. I wanted to see your little symbols because that was cool. Yeah, God bless UTF-8 and the people who made it. <laughs> okay, so the last piece of the puzzle here. So we've seen we just inherit stuff. We've seen we can choose to override stuff. So now how do we make our children do what we tell them? Well, like I said, in a, in most languages, we would just use the abstract keyword, but it doesn't exist in JavaScript. So let us look at two examples. So the length instance data attribute, we're requiring everyone have one of those. And we're also requiring that everyone has an instance function amount as string. So let's look at those, how those two are implemented. So if you look inside the currency class, you will see we have a get length and a set length. Now I have said in the comments, so the comments are actually really important for these. When we're putting rules on our children, we should really put in a comment to tell the developer extending our class what we want of them. So the comment above length says the number of denominations making up the currency. Each child class must implement a getter for this property, which I should have called an attribute. Um, in JS doc speak, you can mark something as being abstract with add abstract. So JavaScript, the language doesn't support it, but JS doc, the documentation language does. How's that for irony? So we can document that we really wanted to do this properly, but we couldn't, but we can't do it properly at type number. So we're saying it has to be a number. So get length, throw new error, abstract instance data attribute dot length not implemented by child class. So whenever a child class tries to use it, that's what will happen. Now, I said this was a read-only attribute. So that means that the setter will just always throw an error. And so we're not making child classes replace the setter if they don't want to, because it's just going to be the same, throw new error read-only attribute. So let me see if I can do the the error you're throwing on purpose again, because we don't have that. What's the, the keyword we don't have? We haven't overridden. So we don't have the keyword abstract. abstract. We had keyword because, we abstract. Don't, because we don't have that, uh, you're saying throw a new error because you're going to, the, the, uh, child has to have a length getter of its own. Yeah. So we want them to do their own length. So we're providing a default that basically throws an error. Okay. And so if they don't replace the default, then out pops the error. Okay. Gotcha. It's sort of a passive aggressive method of parenting, perhaps. <laughs> Guess again. So let us let us do this. Let us prove that this is, works the way I say it does. So we're going to make a class that extends currency that is not going to follow the rules. Class bad currency extends currency. Constructor, super, end, end. That is the entirety of the class. It calls this constructor, it calls super, it meets those rules, so it'll compile. And then it does absolutely, positively nothing else. It does not implement the required length getter. So let's try to use our bad currency. Const naughty money becomes equal to new bad currency. Console.log naughty money dot length. Oh look, out fell our error. I like it. Okay, so <laughs> how do we do it in our real classes? Um actually sorry, no um yeah, actually, I probably should have put that as an example. But basically, if you go into, if you open up the code file, you can see that both of the classes, decimal currency and denominated currency, have get length. And okay. they do something 
say, unsensible in get blank. Um, in the case of decimal currency, they return one or two, depending on whether or not there is a sub-denomination. So for the yen, it would return one. For the dollar, it would return two. And for denominated currency, it has to count. Because, you know, if you're wizarding money, it's three. <laughs> but it could be more. Okay, so now let's look at um, the other abstract thing, which was our function amount as string that I was saying everyone has to implement. So it's actually very similar, right? You have a comment telling the children what you expect from them. All child classes must override this function to render as amount as uh, to render an amount as a string. Add abstract at param number amount at return string e dot g dollar. Ooh, the dollar symbol shouldn't be in there. We don't want symbols. It should just be 12.34 or minus 12. Point. Sorry, no, sorry, sorry. I was right the first time. <laughs> we want them to return it basically as a human, as a, as a nice stringy amount. Uh, not, da. Ah, anyway, I'm going to stop second guessing myself. That's a terrible thing to do in live on air. <laughs> so okay. the point being, the entire body of the function is Throw new error, abstract instance function dot amount as string not implemented by child class. That that is really the point. Mm -hmm. So again, if we try to say naughty money dot amount as string forty two, it throws the error. Okay. So that that really is the only point, right? The entire body is throw the error. So now let's have a look at the constructors of our of our three different classes. So again, remember, we must call super and we cannot use this until we've called super. So when you use a dictionary to contain all of your constructor arguments into one argument, generally speaking, you have a very easy time of things because you just pass that entire dictionary off to super. You don't have to do any work. You just take all the arguments in one go and pass them all off to super and let super do what it wants. That's actually a really, really common approach. So if you look at class decimal currency, its constructor starts with super details. So it's just, just calling throw the it on up there. Just throw it on up. No thinking about it. Throw it on up. Once you've done that, you know that the stuff that the parent is providing is done. So the name and whether or not it's imaginary has been taken care of. But you are now responsible for the things that are unique to you. So... The attributes here for decimal currency are it has to do, you know, if is that undefined details dot denomination this dot denomination equals new denomination dollar else this dot denomination equals details dot denomination all the usual stuff we do in our constructors so hence it just says dot 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 right mm -hmm. so it takes care of all of its own properties after having called super now you are free to be more creative you don't have to pass the arguments clean through you can choose to have different defaults rather than the defaults provided by the parent class. And so the denominated currency actually does that because having dollars as a denominated currency by default would be wrong. So I want the default denominated currency to be buttons because denominated currencies only seem to be used in fantasy or children's stories. So <laughs> buttons is a perfectly sensible currency. Okay. So... Inside our constructor here, we start with um, if is that undefined details.name, details.name becomes equal to buttons. If they hasn't been explicitly marked as imaginary, then we're going to mark it as imaginary. So if is that undefined details.imaginary, details.imaginary becomes equal to true. So now we have our own defaults. Okay. And now we say super details. Okay. 
So we have basically said, yeah, I don't care what the defaults are in the superclass because there won't be any defaults because I have definitely given it a name and I have definitely given it an imaginary status. So when super runs, it's not going to default to anything. It's just going to do what it's told. So, oh, and you couldn't do it after the fact because then you would have uh, inherited the, uh, the, the default name, for example. I guess I could have I could have scrubbed it out afterwards. That is true. Okay. That is true. There will be situations, though, where you want to always have an argument to the superclass be the same thing, no matter what arguments you got in. Mm-hmm. In that case, you would just change it and then call super. Um, and then once you've called super, you still have to do your own work. So if is that undefined details.denominations, you have all of your own work to do, just like you did before. But basically, you can do some stuff, call super, and then do your own stuff. But you cannot ever use the magic word this until after you've called super. Right, right. So the final thing to talk about today is the instance of keyword. And we're sneaking up slowly on this concept of polymorphism. So I'm going to draw your attention again to something I've already said. I did not ent- edit a single character of the denomination or the monetary amount classes. So last time, those classes were written when there was one currency class called currency that represented all currencies. And now we have three currency classes. One of them is useless and two of them do the actual work, decimal currency and denominated currency. So will they still work with my monetary amount class from last time? Hmm. Let's have a go. Let's see what happens. Class Remimbi equals new decimal currency. One argument is a dictionary. Name, people's Renimbi. Denomination, new denomination, the Chinese symbol for the Yuan. Yuan, Yuan, because the plural of Yuan is Yuan. Okay. Subdenomination, new denomination, the Chinese symbol for Fen, because that is one hundredth of a Yuan is a Fen. And the plural of Fen is Fen, so that's why it gets in there twice. So it doesn't get defaulted to fens, because fens would be marshes as opposed to currencies. <laughs> uh, then we have another example. Const latinum becomes equal to new denominated currency. Again, one argument that is a dictionary. Name, gold-pressed latinum. Imaginary true. Denominations, start array. New denominations, B bar, 20, comma, new denomination, S strip, 100 new denomination, small s, slip. So we have defined the renimbi, and we have defined gold-pressed latinum. So can I use them with my monetary amount class from last time? Let's try. Const infrastructure loan becomes equal to new monetary amount, 42 million, comma, renimbi. Console.log. We just got a loan of... Dollar infrastructure loan dot as human string. It actually logs. We just got a loan of 42 million yuan. <laughs> now, I noticed you did new monetary amount when you gave it the arguments. It's 42 underscore zero 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 underscore zero 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 comma renminbi. That's the way it's written. Yeah. You OK, so when you're writing big numbers, the reason we have commas in human world is because it's really hard to count zero. But when they wrote JavaScript the first time around, they didn't think of that. And so the comma has a special meaning. It means next argument. So I couldn't write 42 comma zero zero comma zero zero because that would be seen as being five arguments. Sorry, four arguments instead of two. Right. Okay. So 
I believe it was in ES6, they added the option that if you as a human wanted to put a separator in so that you as a human could read what you'd written, you may use the underscore. Huh. So it is a convenience. So if you take the underscores out, it will behave exactly the same. They're ignored by JavaScript, but they're there to let you, the human, keep your sanity. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was hoping you'd ask, actually. I left that in as a little Easter egg. Um, Now let's go have a look at the other one. So that worked fine. Right, monetary amount was perfectly happy to deal with my decimal currency, and it won't surprise you that const quarks tab equals new monetary amount forty two point seven comma latinum. Console dot log my bar tab at quarks is now quarks tab dot as English string, which logs my bar tab at quarks is now forty two bars and fourteen strips. So point seven turned into fourteen. Yeah, because it's twenty and then a hundred. So that 20 is where the 7 goes to 14. Okay. It's, it's a weird currency, but not quite as weird as our sickles. Yeah, right, right. So you might ask yourself, why does this work? Well, let's go have a look at the setter for the dot .currency property inside our monetary amount class. It says, if not C instance of currency throw new type error, currency must be an instance of the class currency. Well, because decimal currency extends currency, our Renimbi is an instance of currency. It's also an instance of decimal currency, but it is an instance of currency. Ah, right. And our bar tab at quarks is an instance of the class denominated currency, which is a currency. Therefore, that also returns true. So without editing a single line of code for anything that uses currencies, we have now provided the ability to use two different types of currency. So we have many, which is poly. We have many forms of currency. Well, poly is the Latin, or is it Greek? Poly is ancient for many. <laughs> and the... A form is a morpheme or a morphism. Basically, anything that has morph in it is to do with its form. So polymorph is multiple form. Polymorphism just means that the children are also the parent. In other words, polymorphism is why decimal currency and denominated currency can be used as currency. There are multiple forms of currency, polymorphism. That it's all that fancy pants word means. So we, we may run into that in, uh, in our Googling? In your Googling, and you will hear developers who like to show off throw it into random conversation to sound clever. Okay, so we too could do that. We too could do that. Let's just prove all of what I've just said to ourselves. So I'm going to write a little function here that you can copy and paste into your console called function show instance of, which takes one argument we're calling C. It says console.log c.name, and then it says is currency question mark, and then it logs c instance of currency, yes or no. Is decimal currency, and it logs c instance of decimal currency, yes or no, and the same for denominated currency. So let's call it show instance of Renimbi. People's Renimbi. Is currency? Yes. Is decimal currency? Yes. Is denominated currency? No. Because denominated currency is next to decimal currency on the inheritance tree. It is not between it and the top. So no. Latinum, same idea. Is currency? Yes. 
Is decimal currency? Nope. Is denominated currency? Yes. That so, makes sense, yeah. It does make sense. So really, that is it, right? So we have our is a relationship. Decimal currency is a currency. Denominated currency is a currency. And so from the point of view of monetary amount, it doesn't care whether you give it a decimal currency or a denominated currency as long as you give it a currency. So it is polymorphic. What we you, have. Can you use HAZA in relation to these again? So a HAZA won't work here because so a monetary amount has a currency and denominated currency is a currency and okay. decimal currency is a okay. currency. Okay, good. I didn't think I could say it that way and I was like, mm -hmm. okay. Okay. That, ladies and gentlemen, is all of JavaScript that we're going to cover. <laughs> <laughs> Important parenthetical expression there at the end. Just a teeny tiny one. If you want all of JavaScript, you can go to the Mozilla Developer Network and read all of their JavaScript docs. They are excellent, but they are long because JavaScript is a big language. But this finishes our pass through JavaScript, and it finishes our mini-series within a series on object-oriented programming. And I hope you will agree with me that inheritance really is the cherry on top here. And it opens up by, by Isa and Haza, we really can model anything. And so object-oriented design is all about, so you want to write a program that does X, Y, or Z. An object-oriented programmer starts by saying, what are the concepts and the things involved in the problem to be solved? And then you write classes to represent everything. And you create relationships between those classes. And then you have all of the pieces you need to actually do whatever it is you want to do. So you model the world with classes, and those classes have relationships. And that is object-oriented design. That makes sense. Excellent. So that, that, that is quite momentous. We did Next it. Next time. We did it, yeah. This is a read. I feel sad to have reached the end of JavaScript. I, in case you haven't guessed, I do love JavaScript. I know Jill thinks it's a silly language. Well, no, she doesn't think it's silly. She thinks it's weird, and she's not wrong. <laughs> but she doesn't have the same fondness for it I do. It's she your odd little child that you love. Yeah, she loves PHP though, which I, whatever the opposite of love is. But I will, <laughs> I will suppress that because that's where we're going shortly. So the next installment will be 100, and that's going to be... 100! Woohoo! That's going to be the sample solution to the challenge set at the end of installment 96, which is our a way for two podcasters to tell each other what time to meet without confusing each other is basically what it boils down to. Definitely, positively not solving a problem we have every two weeks. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. And then that means that when that's 100, that means that in episode 101, we get to start the next phase of this series. And it's a really big transition. So where we're about to go is from the browser to the server, right? Everything web-based, it's a client-server model. And the client is the web browser and the server is this thing we just haven't bothered talking about. Well, the server is at least as much fun as the browser. And it has way more languages that we could write in, but we're going to choose PHP because it's a really popular one. 
and it's one we haven't done before. We could actually stick with JavaScript thanks to the wonders of something called Node.js. You can write server-side JavaScript code with Node. But that, that A is confusing because then you have JavaScript on both sides. And B does not give us the ability to learn another language. And the whole point of programming by stealth is it's not JavaScript by stealth, it's programming by stealth. So by learning another language, we actually get to cement the concepts way better. When you understand two languages, grammar becomes easier to understand because you can see two different examples, two different ways of doing things, two different syntaxes. Okay. But before we do that, we need to tool up. We need to develop some developer skills. And we're now at the stage where we're writing larger and larger pieces of code, and we need to manage those pieces of code. And the key to managing code is version control. And if you're doing open source in the 2020s, there is only one game in town, and that is the Git distributed version management system. And when it comes to using Git without the hassle of running your own server, there are two games in town. There's GitLab and GitHub. I happen to like GitHub. So we're going to learn Git. And we're going to demonstrate our knowledge using GitHub. But the knowledge about Git could be equally well applied on GitLab or equally well applied to a server of your own that you bought on DigitalOcean using my, say, reseller link. (laughs) So is that going to be a multi-part series on Git or is that something you can just knock out in in a day? Um, Unless you plan on having a very long day, (laughs) I suggest we break it up into pieces. Okay. I don't know how many, because I'm not until I start writing the notes, is it going to become clear when we've when the plate is full for a day, and then we'll stop. <laughs> we'll we'll sure. pick up from the next time. So it'll um, be a little while. But it's it's kind of cool that JavaScript ends at a hundred. We'll always hmm. know when the you know that breakpoint was at a hundred. We were done with JavaScript, and now we're going to learn uh, the next tools. Yeah, and I guess you could say if it start if it doesn't. If it's a two-digit number, it's client-side. And if it's a three-digit number, it's server-side. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Oh, um, there you go. There's a lot on the server-side, right? Because we have PHP, which will entertain us for some time. But something servers do that clients don't is they store data. And that rather opens up a massive, massive world of databases, mm. which we haven't even touched on. Right, but, right. Like the web, all of those data breaches... What are they breaching? They're breaching databases of a million different sorts. We haven't even looked at them. All that data stored on the internet, we have no idea how that works. So we have all of that to learn. We have PHP to learn. It's so much more. Like We've done 100 episodes almost. We're one short. And we haven't even done 10% of everything there is to know about programming. Such a cool, so cool that we get to keep doing this series. And I'm so happy that you're still along with me. (laughs) You know, this would have fizzled after episode 15 or something. But But no sign of light yet. It is is an interesting thing that I think the exact same thing. I'm still, I'm so glad you're still leading me and all of us. And it seems like, especially with the Slack community, that we have so many more people who are piping up now about what they're learning and what they're doing and their ideas and stuff. And it's getting, it's getting even more fun. For a long time, it was, uh, it, it was very quiet for many years, and it's, it's really picking up now. 
And as we'll learn in the next few installments, because of the magic of Git, the show notes are actually being made in the open. You all get to see the sausage being made. And in the case of Dorothy and Helma and you, Alison, you get to fix the sausage when I make a mess of it. (laughs) No, there weren't any typos this week at all. No, not at all. You didn't spend ages writing them to me. And when people look at the commit tree, they won't see two sets of typo corrections by Alison, followed by another set by me. Well, actually, no, no, no. They're, oh, yeah, yeah. That's because I did half yeah. of them and I was in dodgy internet in the, the car. History, Allison. No hiding. Yeah. <laughs> there it's were there were quite a few. part one and typos part two. <laughs> I was just worried because I was tethering off my phone in the car driving back from my holiday and uh, trying to keep track of that was tricky. So oh, I wanted to make sure. A- no, you didn't do a few more. While we're recording live on air, typos have been fixed in episode 72, 73, and 74 with the astonishingly, astonishingly efficient Dorothy. Oh, wow. That's while we've been recording? While we've been recording, there's two more. Yeah, I just hit refresh here on my Git client, and there's fixes oh, in PBS funny. 72, 73, and 74. That's funny. <laughs> this is this is great. Yeah, it is, re- it is really working well to have this be uh, available like this. Yeah, and once we've taught it, it'll be open to the whole community to submit. So basically, when you see me do something dumb, you no longer have the excuse of just saying, oh, well, I better tell Bart to fix it. No, you're going to fix it and send me a pull request, and then I'll accept your fix. Yeah, yeah, it's getting, uh, it's going to be fun. All right, we got we to gotta get, Bart. We got to get, because someone has a show to record. Well, okay, until two weeks from now, happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.